Good morning, church family. Uh, I'm Tim. I'm the location pastor here at First Baptist Church of Norfolk on Volvo. And this week is a little bit different. I said that last week, too. Next week, we'll be back to somewhat of uh, a normal structure of worship service. And by that, I mean welcome, singing, sermon, singing, lunch, right? Um, But this week is what we do every month, the first Sunday of the month. It is Lord's Supper Sunday. And Pastor Eric, who is our senior pastor over all of First Norfolk, uh, was, was talking about taking a Sunday to uh, make the Lord's Supper not a tag-on to, you know, the real worship service, <laughs> um, but taking some time to really walk through and think through what in the world we're doing when we take uh, no irreverence meant in this, um, but a somewhat stale cracker uh, and some grape juice. Um, what in the world we're doing with that? If you're raised uh, in a different faith background uh, than what we are here as uh, evangelicals, as a, we are a Southern Baptist church, um, if you're raised in a different faith background, maybe um, communion time was a time where uh, you were participating in order to earn more favor with God. Or um, maybe you were raised in a faith background where uh, the juice and the, uh, or actually the, the wine, we're in a Baptist church, but it's okay, it really was wine, and we use grape juice here, um, but where the, the bread and the wine uh, was helping resolve some of your sins that you had committed that week. Um, and you could participate in that as kind of earning a credit into your account that you had depleted that week or that day or that month or just uh, whatever. Uh, maybe you have a different understanding um, than what, what we do here according to Scripture. And so what we want to do is gather together and really think through what in the world is going on here. So if you're, um, if you're a first-time guest, I want you to know... This is just a little odd for all of us, Uh, so welcome. You have joined an odd bunch. I know that because I know them, Uh, and so, like, welcome. I want to know that we're glad you're here. If you are not a follower of Christ, what you're about to see is a group of people who really actually believe what we just sang, that Jesus Christ, who is God, came, died, was raised to life uh, so that those who are far from God, which is everybody who's ever lived, would be brought back to God through being restored by the broken body of Christ and the blood that was poured out as, as uh, as inaugurating a new covenant that all of the Bible points to of everyone who's far from God being brought near to God and restored fully regardless of their background, regardless of how sinful they were or weren't, regardless of their history or what what future they were headed to, that God's salvation through Jesus Christ's broken body and blood being poured out cleanses them them from sin and seals his commitment with them in their life to live forever with him and be restored. You're, you're going to see a group of people 
who believe that. And that's going to cause us now as followers of Christ to just take some time to reflect. And here's some good news with that. It'll be a little odd, but we might even be out a little early today, you know? So that's good. But on, but that being said, what we do at communion, at Lord's Supper, whatever phrase we want to use, is it's a time where we get to gather together with God's called out people to celebrate in the present what God has done in the past to secure our future salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Gather together in the present to celebrate in the past what God has done, what God has secured for our future salvation. Well, here's what I mean. All of you have not been alive for 2,000 years, right? <laughs> That's most likely the case. Maybe you get a little bit closer than others in the room. But Jesus died and was risen again long before all of us ever lived in the past. Is that true? You see, at Passover, what we'll be reading in Luke chapter 22, there was a celebration where God's people were gathering together to celebrate what happened in the past, were gathering in the present to celebrate what happened in the past, to look forward to a future moment where God would reconcile all of his people. But we know what that looks like because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so just as they were looking back to the past, we, to uh, 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 an event that we'll talk about in a few minutes, we look back to the death and resurrection of Christ as securing our future hope of salvation forever. That's what we are doing together when we take the bread and we take the cup. And we do that together with God's called out people. I can um, take some bread and some grape juice. We have lots of grape juice. I have juice time with my boy. Uh, one of his, our favorite things to do is when I get home from work, it's juice time. We sit down on the steps and we, you know, crack open a cold juice. And, uh, and that's just how we, that's how we celebrate. Whitney men in my household, we have juice on my lower step. And, um, and it's a ton of fun. Uh, but my, uh, uh, but I don't remember where I was going with all that. Um, I got distracted there. Um, uh, but what we, what we are, what we are doing as we gather together is, is, is celebrating what God has done. We, as God's people are gathering together around more than just juice, just like I do with my son. We're We're gathering together to celebrate what we have in common as God's people. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ that restores us and is the reason you're here. There are people in this room, I'm telling you, that it is crazy that you're even here right now. Like, Have you thought about the miracle that God's done in your life? It is crazy that you are sitting in this place rather than sleeping in. It's crazy that you paid someone to take your duty to come to church. Okay, we don't always do that. Like, it's crazy that you would even get your family together and get them up and make decisions to come and be in this place right now. Like, that's a, a work of God in your life. And we're gathering together to, to, to celebrate together. And so here's what we're going to do before we even kind of launch into the, the teaching time. And the way that the service is going to work is we're going to have... Three kind of times of some teaching, 
and then some reflection and prayer, and then some teaching, and then some reflection and prayer. And then we're going to get to the place where we take communion together and uh, sing a hymn, and then we commission the Peru team because that's what we do as a church. So that's what the structure of the church this mo- of the service this morning. It is odd. I think I've said that adequately, but I think it will be a beautiful thing. And may the Lord bless us to understand what we're doing at the Lord's Supper a little bit more after today than before we walked in. But before we get into that, here's, here's what I'd ask you to do. And again, I know I'm asking you to do things that maybe you're not comfortable with. And I want you to know if you're uncomfortable with this, that's okay. It's uncomfortable for me to pray with others too sometimes. And it's my job, you know. So before we begin, here's, here's what I'd ask us to do. Would you just gather in groups of 10 or more, a big group, and would someone lead out one or two people in praying, thanking God that we have a place to gather together with God's called out people? And that's it. We're just going to thank God that we have church And that he's worked out and orchestrated our lives in such a way that others around us also love Jesus and thought it was a good idea to come together on a Sunday. And he's worked out that miracle in their life as well. Let's gather together and just thank God that we can gather together with God's called out people. So on the count of three, stand up, gather together pray. You're not more spiritual if you pray longer. You're not less spiritual if you pray less time. After one or two people pray, just find your way back to your seat. And after a while, I'll pray to gather to get everyone back to their seat, and then we'll continue on through the service. Make sense? One, two, three, go.
about 30 seconds left. As you begin to close out, make your way back to your seat. For those who are already there, turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. And we're going to kind of just slowly walk through verses 7 through 20 in each section. And if you think about it like this, uh, sometimes at the end of a sermon there's an application time. And we're going to learn a section and then apply it right away. And so... It's same, same, but different, right, Uh, for what we normally do. So Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. Now, believe it or not, Luke chapter 22 comes right after Luke chapters 1 through 21. It is just how the Bible works. It just happened. If you don't believe me, just look at the pages right before. And what was happening in the book of Luke is that Luke is helping us understand that God came to save those who were considered most far away from God. You find the book of Luke, Luke opening with Jesus, uh, the, the message of the coming Messiah being revealed to shepherds. That they were the first ones that God himself made known, obviously other than to Mary, jo- Mary and Joseph. They had kind of a part in all of this, right? And then, on, and then it continues on through shepherd. I mean, through shepherds who were literally the outcasts of society. They did the dirty work of jobs. And then, continuing on through the book of Luke, you find Jesus who comes and he begins to cast demons out of demon possessed people and heal people who were sick and uh, approach women, which in that culture was just like something you just did not do as a good Jewish dude. And he began to work his way into and around people who would, uh, maybe we would consider uh, hanging out in, um, uh, in brothels or uh, those who, we, who often are considered by society outcasts or too sinful. Man, he was in there with them preaching the gospel, hanging out so much so that he began to get a reputation of being one of them because he was with them so much. And through this process, he keeps telling his disciples, hey, I've come and I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised to life on the third day. And he says this three or four times throughout the book of Luke. And he keeps telling them, but they just don't understand it as they're watching Jesus just heal and love and preach the coming of the kingdom to people who were far off. And on top of that, the disciples themselves were fishermen 
And Zealot, you know what a zealot was? Uh, Simon the Zealot was, a, he was a, um, uh, uh, one of Jesus' disciples. He was um, a, a zealot was a, a, a political activist. Whether it was far left or far right, it didn't matter. Literally, they would organize coups and, uh, uh, and taking out leaders in order to get their party ahead. Like, we're, we're talking about a group of people who, apart from Jesus' intervention, simply would never, ever earn their way to heaven. It's not how it worked anyways. And so these gr- this group of people has been watching Jesus walk through in the first 21 chapters. And then in chapter 22, it's literally Thursday night of Jesus's, uh, he's going to be arrested a little bit later. It's the Thursday night right before the crucifixion, right before Easter Sunday, what we always celebrate. And he was gathering his disciples together. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, if you were a Jew, you had a whole lot of context for that. But no one in here is a Jew. I don't think so. And if you are, I'd love to meet you afterwards. But, on, but in that, Jesus was gathering together with his group of Jewish, bro, Jewish bros, his disciples that he's been walking around with, who've been watching him as the Messiah, learning from him as, their, as his disciples for the last three years. He gathers them together on the day to celebrate the Passover. And on the day that the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now again, since we're not Jewish, this may not have much uh, meaning to us, but what this meant to them was this. A long time ago, in fact, several thousand years prior to this gathering right here, God's people were in bondage in Egypt. And the old Charlton Heston movie was based on a book called Exodus, you know, And uh, where God sent Moses to free his people from bondage. And in that process, Pharaoh would not listen to Moses as Moses came and said, you got to let God's people go or else a plague is going to come. And 10 plagues later on the 10th plague, Moses, God told Moses, here's what's going to happen. The firstborn of every person in Egypt is going to die. I'm going to kill them. And on top of that, in order for God's people to be saved, they have to sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood of the lamb on the lentils and on the doorpost. And in doing that, that will be symbolic that they are covered by the blood of an innocent Lamb, and I will pass over their household. And so there were some instructions given about how to sacrifice the lamb and what to eat and what to do with the leftovers and all of that. And all those who did not listen, who did not allow the blood of the lamb to cover them and their household, all of the firstborn died. And all those in Egypt who did not have that mark died. And so they're gathering together to celebrate when God himself had passed over the households of those who were uh, of those who were who had the blood of the lamb, who had marked 
their lives and their homes. And they gathered together to celebrate the freedom that the Passover had brought. And so what they were doing was gathering together to celebrate that they were in bondage and that God had made a way for them to be freed from bondage. Jesus is going to take this Passover celebration and he's going to give it a more fuller meaning as to what God has always been doing with his people who, and trust me, just read the Old Testament, are not perfect yet are protected by the blood of a perfect sacrificed lamb. And so here's what I'd like us to do just looking at verse 7. Did you know that you have done nothing to earn God's salvation? Actually, in all of your sin, what you have earned is condemnation and death. Yet God in this passage is going to show us how he has provided a Passover lamb the perfect lamb by whose blood being poured out covers you and marks you that death can no longer touch you. But this is a truth that we celebrate during Lord's Supper that we miss because Jesus is going to take this whole, that's the context that Jesus is in. He's going to take this whole thing and say, this is me. That's what he's going to do. Now, you think it's about a lamb and Egypt and being free? No, it's about me. And then he's going to begin to give fuller meaning to the elements of the Passover. So that being said, here's what I'd like to, just to do with prayer time too. And it's going to feel really long. It's going to be three or four minutes. Which if you pray three or four minutes, man, the way that my brain works, I'm telling you, I have sermon notes and I get distracted at my own preaching, right? Like I... I, I, I have three conversations going on while I'm talking to you all right now. Like, it's just weird in here. So I understand that praying can be difficult. But for three to four minutes, why don't we take some time individually where you are just to reflect on your own sin and allow this reality of the good news that God has provided a way for you to be cleansed by the blood of a perfect sacrifice that you had nothing to do with. Here's the danger in this. I'm asking you to dig up some dark things that you work really, really hard to ignore. And then I'm, then I'm asking you to begin telling yourself and God except God has provided a Passover lamb. I'm asking you to reflect on this reality that you have been or maybe still are in bondage to sin. And if you're not a follower of Christ, and reflect on the idea of how good of news would it be if I could actually be freed and forgiven for this. And if you are a follower of Christ and you're like me and the things of your past haunt you in your present, why don't you take some time to allow yourself to say, man, that is true, but oh, God has passed over and covered my sin. And let's reflect on this beautiful reality of the Passover Lamb 
of God. Let's bow our heads where we are and process and meditate on this beautiful truth. Still in your time of contemplation and Christian meditation on this beautiful truth of Scripture, declare in your heart to the Lord, and you might need to hear this too,
regardless of my sin or in the face of my sin God you have atoned for this you have atoned for this atonement is um, not payment satisfaction you, you have atoned for this Jesus, we, we thank you that you, you have made full payment for every way that each of us have been sexually immoral, where we have lied or cheated or stolen. God, where we have taken life or been wrong or been cowards or been lazy or whatever way we have betrayed you and others, God, you have atoned for this. We thank you, God, that you pass over us because of the sacrifice of the perfect lamb in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So just continuing on in Luke 22, look at what he does next. He says, on the, the, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. God made a way for this thing to happen. He didn't have to free them from Egypt. He did not have to free you from sin. And he did. He has made a way. And then verse 8. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, they're outside the city. When you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Here's, here's how, how Luke is helping set this thing up, because we are, already know the end. Jesus dies and comes back. But what Luke is doing is helping us see that the disciples did not necessarily see what was coming, but Jesus surely did. He knew outside the city exactly what the disciples were going to find. He knew exactly the man that was going to be holding a jar of water. It sounds like they're going in to like meet with some uh, spy in the city or something. Here's how you find him. Here's the code word. Here's how you know he's friendly. And now you're going to go and he's already done some things to prepare for you. right? Like It's, it's like cryptic, the inside knowledge that Jesus has because he himself is God. And is showing them, I know exactly how this night is going to go. In fact, in the passage right before this, in verse uh, 3 of, of chapter 22, we get an inside scoop that Judas had already betrayed Jesus. Jesus knows this because at the end of this, where we won't get to at the end of this passage, Jesus says, one of you guys have betrayed me. I already know that you have. And they start asking, like, is it me? Is it me? And Judas is trying to, like, you know, play along. I don't know what he was doing, but like Jesus knows exactly how this night is going to go. He knows exactly what's going on. 
And on top of all of this, he begins to share with his disciples, I know everything that is about to happen. In fact, in just a minute, in our next little section, we're going to see Jesus knew what was going to happen, and he was really, really, really excited about it. Now, he was nervous. A little bit later in Luke, we see that. But he really, really wanted to be there tonight to teach his disciples this thing. And so here's, here's what I'd like us to do for just a minute. Because what Luke is doing is helping his readers, and what God is doing, this is Scripture now, what God is doing is helping us understand that Jesus, that God knows exactly what is going on in the future. He has no doubts about what your tomorrow holds. He has, he has no confusion about what the next decade is. He has no, he's not up in heaven trying to figure out like, ah, is it going to look like this or like this? I have, man, he knows the man in the jar that you're going to meet that has a room already prepared because he has orchestrated these things and he is sovereign over it. Listen, I've been studying this stuff for a long time and it blows my mind. I have no idea how it works, but it is how God works. That he knows your future. This is a beautiful attribute of God. Jesus is revealing his omniscience as he's been doing throughout the entire book of Luke. Like, I know what's coming. I got this, right? So here's what I'd like us to do. We're going to even turn a little bit, a little bit Bapticostal. Maybe a little, a little charismatic in this moment. And that's okay if that's all right. But what I'd like us to do as a congregation is just take a few minutes and shout out, whoa, shout out the attributes of God that just that you just love, that you have come to know in your life from seeing God move. Or if you're not comfortable with that, maybe there's a passage of Scripture that just speaks to you of the beautiful love of God. For, for me, it's Colossians chapter 2, where we become holy, chapter 1, holy and blameless and beyond reproach before God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That blows my mind. I'm perfect before God, or God's a liar, and he's perfect, and he doesn't lie. So here's what I'd like us to do for a few minutes. You're not less spiritual if you don't participate, I promise. It's okay to be an introvert in church. I know this is like your worst nightmare as an introvert. It's okay. But let's just take some time to shout out the attributes of God or to read no more than three verses of Scripture. And I say that, don't be the person who's like, these three chapters really speak to me, right? Like, which I love the Bible, but like just let's honor others and allow them to have time too. So no more than three verses or just shout out something good about God. Ready? Go. Go for it. Faithfulness. Amen. 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 All right, keep going. Let's go. Unconditional eternal love. Provider. 
Holy. Oh, yeah. Healer. Redeemer. Wonderful and what? Merciful. Forgiving. Yes. I didn't hear that. Patient. That's right. Gracious. Sovereign. Righteousness. Mighty. Loving. All-knowing. Someone read some Bible somewhere. Come on. This is beautiful. He what? Yes, he made him who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Come on. That's right. That's right. Say that one more time. Lord of lords and king of kings. That's right. Let's get a few more. Creator. That's right. We're accepted in the beloved. Alpha and the Omega. One more. What do we got? Yes, this is a beautiful one to, to end on because this is what we do in, co- in communion in the Lord's Supper. We are celebrating what God has done in the past through providing a perfect Passover lamb right now in the present and looking forward to that future moment that we in the light of the gospel of the glory of God found in Jesus Christ now have fellowship with him and with one another. And when we gather together as God's called out people, we have fellowship because God has united us who believe in Jesus, giving all of us his name to bear. God is beautifully sovereign over all of these things. And when we gather together, we are celebrating our God who knows our past and our present and our future Perfectly. And he saved us anyways. So that being said, looking, continuing on in verse 14. And here's how the text continues to go. In verse 14, it says, and when the hour came. Okay, this is beautiful. Jesus is kicking back with his boys, eating some Passover lamb, talking to them about. Uh, the Passover. And when the hour had come, he was waiting for a moment. He reclined at table. It was, uh, they ate around something called a triclinium. So a recliner is a seat that reclines, right? So lays down, right? Goes back and forth. So a triclinium is a three-way cliner, like laying down thing. That's how they ate. They would kind of sit on their side and in fact, still do that. And so three sides, servants would come in and bring food and then walk out the middle. 
And so Jesus said, all right, the time is set. This is the moment I have been waiting for in this moment. He reclined and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus was the originator of the, I really, 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 really want to do this. That's what this double uh, desired earnestly, that's what this double, uh, uh, double use of, it's two different words, but the, the idea is carrying here. Like, I really, really want to eat this Passover with you. And then he continues on, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. And he goes into the Passover time. Here's what Jesus begins to do as they're going through the Passover, thinking through it's just another Passover meal, and that their level where they were, they'd probably done this depending on their age, 20 or 30 or maybe even 40 times. Jesus begins to take this meal and show them all that you guys have been looking at and celebrating is now about to be fulfilled. Verse 16, I tell you, I will not eat this meal again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus, do you see how he's taking this moment and he's pointing them forward based on what God has done in the past and pointing them forward to what he's going to do in the future. He begins to then take the elements and point them toward how this is showing the fulfillment of what's to come. And that's what we're going to do right now as we celebrate Passover, as we celebrate Lord's Supper through communion. We're going to take some time and we're going to thank God for what he has done in the past through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that secures our forward moment together where the kingdom of God is fulfilled. Where there really is a place where God's people are united, where there are no more tears, where there's no more death, where all evil is undone, where everything is made right, where our good and holy and patient and righteous God who calls us into marvelous light who has redeemed us, who has rescued us, who has a greater plan than we could ever know, who continues to be kind and loving towards us, who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all of the things that we just proclaimed about God, where we gather together with Him, where finally the kingdom of God is fulfilled perfectly and all sin in this world has been turned around redeemed and restored and jesus is saying this moment i'm about to share with you this moment points towards that and that's what we're about to do as god's people if you're not a follower of christ you're about to see a group of people who are going to hold a little cracker in their hands and some juice because we're a baptist church and who's going to hold those things in their hands and say, these things are our cracker and juice, but man, I cannot wait because of Jesus' broken body and his poured out blood that seals me. When that kingdom is fulfilled, oh, I cannot wait to get there. And that's what we're going to do. But when you do that, it causes you to reflect 
on the fact that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out for you. An idea of a Passover that those who've been washed clean by the blood's lamb are passed over from death and will live forever. And inevitably in the Christian's life, through the rest of the New Testament, this moment is a moment of reflection on God has sealed me in his new covenant. And so what does that mean for my life right now? It's a moment of reflecting on that's where I'm headed. Am I living like that? And so here's what I'd like to do for this last, for these last few minutes. In every seat, there's a blue card. And I want to invite you to participate with this. It is not required. Again, you're not more spiritual if you do or less spiritual if you don't. There's zero guilt tripping going on in this church. But rather, if the Spirit of God is causing you to reflect on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, which is what the Lord's Supper is all about. And in that process of thinking through, you think, man, I have sin in my life that's inconsistent with being washed by the blood as God has made me, but I'm living in a way that isn't consistent with who he's made me. That's, that's what sin is. It's doing something you shouldn't do or not doing what you're supposed to do. And God in this moment is saying, you have been washed. You have been sanctified. My body was broken for you. My blood was poured out for you. You are going to learn in a minute that it's the sign of the new covenant that now marks your life. And this area of your life does not look like what I've marked you by. We now have a beautiful moment in the Lord's Supper to confess our sin and believe in the gospel that even though I have sinned, yet you have atoned for this. You made a way for this to be taken care of. And so for just a few minutes before we take the Lord's Supper, let's allow this beautiful reality to rest on us. And there's something beautiful about confessing sin. I want you to know whatever you write down will only go to me. No one sorts through these cards except for me. And I would ask if you would be so bold as to confess your sin and then write next to it, yet this has been atoned for. And I want you to know as your location, Pastor, I will pray every single day for you and for that battle with that sin this week. Again, not less spiritual if you don't want to do that. I totally understand. We may have never met. But I want you to know that in reflecting upon the Lord's Supper, inevitably what squeezes out of us is, whoa, this does not look like it ought to. And I want you to know as your pastor, I would love to join you before the throne of God in that thing. And every day this week, pray, man, this is the struggle that they have. God, would you free them from that? Would you help them to realize that you have atoned for that? Would you help them to walk in freedom from sin? So that being said, let's have one more time of reflection. And during this time, if you would be so bold as to fill out on one of those blue cards in your seat, something that I could pray for you about or a sin that you want to confess. I'm, this isn't a, a background where somehow I'm freeing you of sin. Jesus Christ is the one who died for your sin. I'm joining you as a brother in Christ and saying, I'm going to join you before the throne. And the great high priest who can sympathize with your sin is going to hear from you and he's going to hear from me. And he's the one that gives forgiveness. So that being said, let's go through a time before we read this last passage 
And before we take the Lord's Supper and the deacons get in place to begin giving this out and Gary gets in place, where we reflect on this beautiful reality and where we confess our sin and where we go to the Lord's table going, man, his body was broken and his blood was poured out and my sin has been atoned for. And this becomes a beautiful celebration. So that being said, let's pray and let's respond. And as the deacons get in place, I'll give you more instructions of how we're going to do the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. Let's pray together and confess our sin. God, I I thank you for a day where we get to just uh, meditate on this beautiful truth that Jesus is our perfect Passover lamb. God, I thank you that you, you were really excited really excited about sharing with your disciples and now telling us through scripture what the Passover was pointing to. Lord, I I thank you for working out everything from your people in the Old Testament so that we would know and have a deeper understanding of all that you do and what it means to be passed over 
from death and what it means to be have your sin atoned for and what it means to have a lamb that blood is sacrificed to cleanse and cover sin. Lord, I thank you for working all of that out so I could stand here in 2019 and look at your beautiful work that you have done that regardless of my pride and my arrogance and my faults and my failures, that Lord, you have atoned for my sin. I thank you for a group of people that I can gather together with who also have that testimony in their own unique way. Lord, I pray that you would help us in these next few minutes as we take the bread and the juice together that, God, you would give us a deeper and greater love and appreciation for what you have done in the past through Jesus Christ and a greater belief in the reality of the future that you have promised us through the fulfillment of your kingdom that's coming. Because we know that you know the future. Lord, I pray that you would bless us during these last few minutes. I pray that you'd be present with us. And Lord, for any in here who have never understood the gospel, I pray that you would make the beautiful news that they are dead apart from you and need Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to cover their sin. If they would confess their sin and believe in him, God, would you help that beautiful truth to be new and real to them? We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So now let's take the Lord's Supper together. In fact, as the deacons get in place, go ahead and do that. I would ask you to just take some time. And it's okay if it's a little chaotic, small, teachable moment. There's a reason why in the church at Corinth, Paul had to tell them, when you guys gather together, it's for the worse, not for the better. Some of you go starving while others of you are getting drunk at Lord's Supper. That's part of why we use juice, because we're very aware that some in the congregation, that's a part of their background, and we just simply don't, uh, that they struggle with, and we don't want that to be a stumbling block to taking Lord's Supper. That's one of the reasons we use juice. But part of the reason why Paul had to write that is because though the Lord's Supper can often be a somber moment of reflection, if you just confessed your sins and know that God has atoned for it, it is a moment of celebration. That's why the church at Corinth was partying so hard that Paul had to say, you're going a little too hard, <laughs> you know? So that being said, y'all, this is a beautiful time where we get to be somewhat loud. It's going to be a little bit odd if you're used to the Lord's Supper being more of a somber moment where no one talks to anybody else about what God is doing in their life. And, uh, uh, and just goes back to your seat and sits quietly waiting for, you know, the, the person up front to say what's next. But here's what I'd invite you to do. Just something odd. I'd invite you to have fun with your friends or make a new one in conversation on the way up as you grab your juice and your cup and go back to your seat and talk in church. And we haven't even dismissed yet. All right. So your sin has been atoned for. God knows your future. He has made a way and he didn't have to. You are holy and blameless and beyond reproach before him. We're going to celebrate what God has done through the life and death and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ on your behalf through the broken body of Christ and the blood that's been poured out to seal you in the covenant that we're about to read about. Y'all, church, let's stand up and in the beautiful chaos of order, go grab some juice and some uh, bread and go back to your seat and have a conversation about what God's doing in your life.
All right, church, let's celebrate together what God has done. Listen to what Jesus does with the bread and the wine. In our instance, bread and juice. Here we go. He says in verse 17, or Luke says, And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Do you see how he's pointing them toward the future of what God's going to do? And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What Jesus does, he, the, the Bible does not make any promises about how if you take communion right, you uh, are earning anything. If you do it wrong, there's some consequences in Corinth. But the, the, this bread and this, this juice doesn't do anything for you. It's probably Welch's from the refrigerator. Um, and I don't know where these came from. Still haven't figured that out. There's a very small bakery somewhere, you know, <laughs> that makes these. But what he says is these things, these things, and he gives them new meaning than what, what, was, what was going on in the actual uh, Seder meal that they would have been celebrating and in the Passover meal that they were celebrating. Like he, he, he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. This is my body because they would have been breaking bread off. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not doing anything except for helping you remember me. We are remembering Jesus' broken body, and that's the thing that does something. So that being said, let's celebrate together and remember Jesus' broken body for us. Mm. And now, Jesus takes the cup, and he said, This cup that is poured out for you, that would have had a moment in their celebration, but he gives it a new meaning. He says, This cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Here's what a covenant is. A covenant is a sealed and ratified commitment between two parties. But there's nothing going on on the end of the disciples. Jesus says, this is my covenant to you. My broken, poured out blood. My commitment to you that my body is being, my blood is being poured out to you as the sacrifice, the Passover lamb to atone for your sins. This is why we say you didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus did all of it. He did all of it. And we celebrate, God, you did all. All of this, before I ever even existed, you made a way to save me. And you didn't have to. Church, let's celebrate the commitment that God has to his people, even though we are all sinful. And now, now, we kind of know a little bit more about what this whole Lord's Supper thing is. It is a moment where we gather together, and although it would be fantastic to spend an hour on it every time, we didn't get out early today, I lied, y'all. Um, 
it would be fantastic every time to spend an hour on it. What we do when we gather together is we gather together to celebrate what God did in the past through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to secure us and his commitment to us in the future of king, kingdom of God that he has coming. So what happened after they did all of this? Well, Matthew's account tells, uh, tells us that they sung a hymn. Man, we're doing all sorts of things we don't do often here, right? Now we are going to stand up and we are going to sing a hymn and then we're going to commission out a, uh, a mission team to Peru. So that being said, Lance is going to lead us in a hymn and then I invite those who we're commissioning out to Peru to come join us afterwards and then we'll be dismissed. Let's stand together.